You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. The Exile of Time by Ray Cummings. Chapter 18. Two, the Clever Man. Sit quiet, George Rankin. And you, Mistress Mary. You'll be quite safe with Miguel if you were docile. She stood before us. We were in a dim recess of a great cavern, with the throb of whirring machinery around us. It was the same day which I have just described. Larry was at this moment asleep in the palace room. Tew and Tina had come searching for Miguel, and Tew had contrived to send Tina back. Then he had come directly to us, finding us readily, since we were hidden where he had told Miguel to hide us. The cavern was directly beneath the robot laboratory in which the time-travelling cage was placed. A small spiral stairway led downward some two levels, opening into a great, luridly lighted room. Huge, inert machines stood about. Great wheels were flashing as they revolved, turning the dynamos to generate the several types of current used by the city's underground industrial activities. It was a tremendous subterranean room. I saw only one small section of it. Down the blue-lit aisles, the rows of machines may have stretched for half a mile or more. The low hum of them was an incessant pound against my senses. The great inert mechanisms had tiny lights upon them, which gleamed like eyes. The illumined gauge faces. Each of them I passed seemed staring at me. The brass jackets were polished until they shone with the sheen of the overhead tube lights. The giant wheels flashed smoothly upon oil bearings. They were in every fashion of shape and size, these inert machines. Some towered towards the metal beam ceiling, with great swaying pendulums that ticked like a giant clock. Some clanked with eccentric cams, a jarring rhythm, as though the heart of the thing were limping with its beat. Others had a ragged, frightened pulse. Others stood placid, outwardly motionless under smooth, polished cases, but humming inside with myriad blended sounds. Inert machines, yet some were capable of locomotion. There was a small truck on wheels, which was set in universal joints. Of its own power, radio-controlled perhaps, so that it seemed acting of its own volition, it rolled up and down one of the aisles, stopping at set intervals and allowing a metal arm lever in it to blow out a tiny jet of oil. One of the attending robots encountered it in an aisle, and the cart swung automatically aside. The robot spoke to the cart, ordered it away, and the tone of his order, registering upon some sensitive mechanism, whirled the cart around and sent it rolling to another aisle section. The strange perfection of machinery! I realized there was no line sharply to be drawn between the inert machine and the sentient, thinking robots. That cart, for instance, was almost a connecting link. There were also robots here of many different types. Some of them were eight or ten feet in stature, in the fashion of a man. Miguel was of this design. Others were small, bulging foreheads and bulging chest plates. Larry saw this type as domestics in the palace. Still others were little pot-bellied things with bent legs and long, thin arms set crescent-shaped. I saw one of these peer into a huge chassis of a machine and reach in with his curved arm to make an interior adjustment. Miguel had brought Mary Atwood and me in the larger cage from that burned forest of the year 762, where, with his disintegrating ray gun, Tew 
killed Harl. The body of Harl, in a moment, had melted into putrescence and dried, leaving only the skeleton within the clothes. The white ray, Tugh had called his weapon. We were destined very shortly to have many dealings with it. Tugh had given Miguel his orders. Then Tugh took Harl's smaller cage and flashed away to meet Tina and Larry in 1777, as I have already described. As Miguel brought us here to 2930, we descended the spiral staircase and came into the cavern, and it stood there with us for a moment. That's wonderful, the robot said proudly. I am part of it. We are machinery, almost human. Then it led us down a side aisle of the cavern and into a dim recess. A great transparent tube, bubbling with a violent fluorescence, stood in the alcove space. Behind it, in the wall, Miguel slid a door, and we passed through into a small metal room. It was bare, save for two couch seats. With the door closed upon us, we waited through an interval. How long it was, I do not know. Several hours, possibly. Miguel told us that Tugh would come. The giant mechanism stood in the corner, and its red-lit eyes watched us alertly. It stood motionless, inert, tireless, so superior to a human in this job, for it could stand there indefinitely. We found food and drink here. We talked a little, whispered, and I hoped Miguel, who was ten feet away, could not hear us. But there was nothing we could say or plan. Mary slept a little. I had not thought that I could sleep, but I did too. I was awakened by Chew's entrance. I was lying on the couch Mary had left hers, and was sitting now beside me. Chew slid the door closed after him, and came towards us, and I sat up beside Mary. Miguel was standing motionless in the corner, exactly where he had been hours before. Well, enough, Miguel, she greeted the robot. You obey well. Master, yes. Always I obey you, no one else. I saw Chu glance at the mechanism keenly. Stand aside, Miguel. Well, no, I think you would better leave us. Just for a moment, wait outside. Yes, Master. It left, and Chu confronted us. Sit where you are, he said. I assume you are not injured. You have been fed? And slept, perhaps? I wish to treat you kindly. Thanks, I said. Will you not tell us what you are going to do with us? He stood with folded arms. The light was dim, but such as it was, it shone full upon him. His face was, as always, a mask of imperturbability. Mistress Mary knows that I love her. He said it with a startlingly calm abruptness. Mary shuddered against me, but she did not speak. I thought possibly Tew was not armed. I could leap upon it. Doubtless I was stronger than he. But outside the door, Miguel was armed with a white ray. I love her, as I have always loved her. But this is no time to talk of love. I have much on my mind, much to do. He seemed willing to talk now but he was talking more for Mary than for me. As I watched him and listened, I was struck with a queerness in his manner and in his words. Was he irrational, this exile of time, who had impressed his sinister personality upon so many different eras? I suddenly thought so. 
demented or obsessed with some strange purpose? His acts, as well as his words, were strange. He had devastated the New York of 1935 because its officials had mistreated him. He had done many strange, sinister, murderous things. He said with his gaze upon Mary, I am going to conquer this city here. There will follow the rule of the robots, and I will be their sole master. Do you want me to tell you a secret? It is I who have actuated these mechanisms to revolt. His eyes had a cunning gleam. Surely this was a madman leering before me. When the revolt is over, he went on, I will be master of New York, and that mastery will spread. The robots elsewhere will revolt to join my rule, and there will come a new era. I may be master of the world. Who knows? The humans who have made the robots slaves for them will become slaves themselves. Workers! It is the robots' turn now, and I, too, will be the only human in power. These words were the words of a madman. I could imagine that he might stir these mechanical beings to a temporarily successful revolt. He might control New York City. But the great human nations of the world could not be overcome so easily. And then I remembered the white ray. A giant projector of that ray would melt human armies as though they were wax. Yet the metal robots could stand its blast unharmed. Perhaps he was no madman. He was saying, I will be the only human ruler. You will be the greatest man on earth. And I do it for you, Mistress Mary, because I love you. Do not shudder. He put out his hand to touch her. And when she shrank away, I saw the muscles of his face twitch in a fashion very odd. It was a queer, wholly repulsive grimace. So, you do not like my looks? I tried to correct that, Mary. I have searched through many eras for surgeons with skill to make me like other men. Like this young man here, for instance. You, George Rankin, I am glad to have you. Do not fear I will harm you. Shall I tell you why? Yes, I stammered. In truth, I was swept now with a shuddering revulsion for this leering cripple. Because, he said, Mary Atwood loves you. When I have conquered New York with my robots, I shall search further into time and find an era where scientific skill will give me, shall I say, your body? That is what I mean, my soul, my identity in your body. There is nothing too strange about that. In some era, no doubt, it has been accomplished. When that has been done, Mary Atwood, you will love me. You, George Rankin, and have this poor, miserable body of mine, and welcome. For all of my repugnance to him, I could not miss his earnest sincerity. There was a pathos to it, perhaps, but I was in no mood to feel that. He seemed to read my thoughts. He added, You think I am irrational? I am not at all. I scheme very carefully. I killed Harl for a reason you need not know. But the Princess Tina I did not kill. Not yet. Because here, in New York now, there is a very vital fortified place. It is operated by humans. Not many. Only three or four, I think. But my robots cannot attack it successfully. And the city council does not trust me enough to let me go there by the surface route. There is a route underground, which even I do not know, but Princess Tina knows it, and presently I will cajole her, trick her, if you like, into leading me there. And, armed with the white ray, once I get into the place, 
You see that I am clever, don't you? I could fancy that he considered he was impressing Mary with all this talk. Very clever, I said. And what are you going to do with us in the meantime? Let us go with you? Not at all, he smiled. You will stay here, safe with Miguel. The Princess Tina and your friend Larry are much concerned over you. Larry! It was the first I knew of Larry's whereabouts. Larry here? She saw the surprise upon my face, and Mary had clutched me with a startled exclamation. Yes, said Chew. This Larry says he is a friend of yours. He came with Tina from 1935. I brought him with Tina from when they were marooned in 1777. I have not killed this man yet. He is harmless, and as I told you, I do not want Tina suspicious of me until she has led me to the powerhouse. You see, Mistress Mary, how cleverly I plan? What strange childlike naive simplicity! He had to calm me unemotionally. I want to make you love me, Mary Atwood. Then we will be you, the great man, and Mary Atwood, the beautiful woman. Perhaps we may rule this world together sometime soon. The door stood open. Miguel appeared. Master, the robot leaders wish to consult with you. Now, Miguel? Master, yes. They are ready for the demonstration at the palace? Yes, Master. And ready for everything else? They are ready. Very well. I will come. You, Miguel, stay here and guard these captives. Treat them kindly, so long as they are docile, but be watchful. I am always watchful, Master. It will not take long. This night which is coming should see me in control of the city. Time is nothing to me, said the robot. I will stand here until you return. That is right. Without another word or look at Mary and me, Chu swung around, gathered his cloak, and went through the doorway. The door slid closed upon him. We were again alone with the mechanism, which backed into the corner and stood with long dangling arms and expressionless metal face. This inert thing of metal we had come to regard as almost human. It stood motionless with the chilling red gleam from its eye sockets upon us. Mary had not once spoken since Chu entered the room. She was huddled beside me, a strange, beautiful figure in her long white silk dress. In the glow of light within this bare metal apartment, I could see how pale and drawn was her beautiful face. But her eyes were gleaming. She drew me closer to her, whispered in my ear, George, I think perhaps I can control this mechanism, Miguel. How, Mary? I, well, just let me talk to him, George. We've got to get out of here, and warn Larry, and that Princess Tina against you, and join them. It's our only chance. We've got to get out of here now. But Mary, let me try. I won't startle or anger, Miguel. Let me. I nodded. But be careful. Yes. She sat away from me. Miguel, she said. Miguel, look here. The robot moved its huge square head and raised an arm in a vague gesture. What do you want? It advanced and stood before us its dangling arms clanking against its metal sides. In one of its hands, the ray cylinder was clutched, the wire from which ran loosely up the arm, over the huge shoulder, and into an aperture of the chest plate, where the battery was located. Closer, Miguel, 
I am close enough. The cylinder was pointed directly at us. What do you want? the robot repeated. Mary smiled. Just to talk to you, she said gently. To tell you how foolish you are, a big strong thing like you, to let Tew control you. End of chapter 18